call it my Jonah moment. And I made a conscious decision, understanding that the Lord was calling me to say, hey, you need to help people own their own home because I helped you. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community. Our series, Meet Your Community, aims to deepen our awareness of community needs and meet some of the people and organizations working daily to meet those needs. Hopefully, we can begin to envision ways to use our skills and resources personally and collectively to help in meeting those needs. The median cost for a two-bedroom home in Athens, Georgia in July of 2023 was approximately $230,000. Would that be an affordable home for you? Are you aware of the significant impact housing stability and home ownership has for the overall health and well-being of people? The work of the Athens Area Habitat for Humanity reaches beyond the wooden nails of home building. Today, we meet Spencer Fry, the Athens Habitat Executive Director. Spencer Fry, I am really glad that you're here today for us to talk. We had a good time talking a few months ago about this project, Mm -hmm. and I was really pleased that you're game to join us in this project and share a little bit of your story and share some of your story about the Athens area Habitat for Humanity. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. You know, it's something that, um, Habitat's something that I believe in. I think the Lord called me into this. I finally resigned myself to my situation and my place in life a handful of years ago, and I figured, well, this is what I'm going to do, so let's just keep doing it. So I'm happy to talk about it, and I appreciate being able to tell my testimony through Habitat, but also through my experiences here in Athens and kind of growing up here, say growing up from an 18-year-old yeah. to now and how that has shaped my view of the community and Habitat is a major part of that. Let's talk a little bit about your story. So you're a business owner. You're a bit of a musician as well. You have a Presbyterian minister as your father. And you've served, if my math is correct, for your, in your 11th year of serving in the Georgia House of Representatives? Yes. Representing District 118? Uh, my district switched. It, oh, it start, switched. It was 118, but now it's 122, but it still stays in Athens. It's basically north and center yeah. of Athens. Very good. So tell me a little bit more about how all that comes together and who you are and what you do. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I feel like I I need to start a little bit where I was raised. I was given birth to by a couple of teenagers during the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. They were in college, didn't know what they were doing. We moved over to Germany during Vietnam, spent early formative years there, about three years, and then came back. I started first grade here in the States, or second grade in the States. And I think that had a lot of shaping to do with my worldview, obviously being living in America, but then living in another part of the world before you're six years old. And um, all of a sudden, one day, Dad said he's going to be a preacher. Went from 
an army captain, and have some teenage memories of the parties that were held and thrown, and all of a sudden we're going to church, and I got a cross in the house, and I didn't know what was up. <laughs> it's a big switch. It is a big switch. It was night and day. And he had been raised um, in a Christian home, but, you know, bounced around a little bit in the army, and then, boom, just got called in the ministry. The only person that wanted him to do it was his mama. And uh, even my mom was like, oh, my gosh, says you realize, and I know you know this, it's both of us. It's not just you. <laughs> it's actually both of us and whatever kids you get, you know. Yeah. He uh, really put some values in my head based around two things that I try to carry today. Number one of the Beatitudes, really Maybe I needed the Beatitudes a lot when I was a teenager. I'm pretty sure I did, as a matter of fact. But also hypocrisy. And those, so those were two things that he really laid out for me that maybe were important to him in some way, shape, or form. But that's what stuck with me throughout my life. When I was 13, I went to Haiti for a summer, and I lived there, and I started my construction world. And I helped build a church in a small village in the northeastern part of the island. Came up to Athens when I was 18 and didn't, I only came here because some of my friends were already living here and they said, hey, this, all the cool people come here from Griffin. <laughs> so we had moved from Mississippi to, to here when I was in 10th grade and I went to several different high schools and just came on up to Athens. I'd never even visited Athens by the time I got, before I moved, the day I moved up here, I'd never set foot in the city. So I came up here and. Two years later, I called my dad and said, Dad, I need to move to California. I'm going to sell everything I got, and I'm going to move to California. And his response was, Son, you don't have anything. (laughs) And imagine the frantic efforts. And this is back in 1988. No internet. But a couple days later, he had found an opportunity for me said, hey, got this church here, this Presbyterian church and the Episcopal church, and they have a mission down in Haiti, and you've lived in Haiti before. Do you want to do that? And I was like, sure, I'll look at that. Never got a chance to ask my dad why he would want me to go to Haiti rather than California. Haiti was under a dictatorship, and actually there was a coup two times when I was down there. But that guy did not want me to go to California. So... Whatever, I never went to California. I've been I'm not sure once. what that says about California. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, yeah, right. So I, I stayed there for a year. I had already spoke French, so I learned Creole. That was an amazing experience, reinforcing the things that I had seen when I was 13. And um, I'd been in and out of, that was the first time I quit school. Came back, had to, was on my own. I didn't finish college right away. I didn't even graduate till 2014. As really? a state rep, right? Really? Had two classes left. Because you were already in the house. Right. I didn't know if they'd let me in or not, but they did. I had quit because of financial reasons on several occasions. It was just a thing where when I had children, my wife and I said, okay, yeah, you got to do this. And so I did it. And it was great. But it really showed me the barriers that people would face going to school these days. It's not the same. You've got to have a phone. You've got to have a computer. I mean, there's definitely price of entry into our higher education that 
we don't really recognize all the time, right? There are right. massive barriers. So that was a great experience. And, of course, Athens a Music Town came up here to play rock and roll. Played rock and roll for a long time. Really enjoy it. I still write songs. And I had some amazing experiences. Opened up for Kelly Clarkson on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial for the one-year anniversary of 9-11. And I'm so excited and happy that I got to do stuff like that, right? Yeah. We were doing pretty well. I had some cool songs out there, and labels were interested, and then 9-11 happened. It seemed to shut things down for a while. And then, you know, I was also starting a family, and it's just one of those things where I realized that this isn't something that I need to be doing because it's hard to do. Apple came out with the 99 cent song, totally blows the industry out of the water. And, you know, a lot of the issues that have gone on in the music world, the artists aren't getting paid for Spotify or Apple music very much. And so it changed the, the name of the game and the way it's played. And so I saw that also, Yeah, you know, I was working Habitat being construction manager, you know, actually the way I got to Habitat was in 99, my w- girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, mm-hmm. said, uh, hey, w- the Habitat board asked me to ask you if you'd like to be their construction manager, first construction manager, you know, because I had done some building, had my own business, and I knew I'd done mission work, so they thought, well, this guy would fit. It's a good fit. Yeah. So that was in 99? 99. And so... Two ladies had helped me buy my first house that really? weren't related to me. And I and I live right down the street in this fancy neighborhood now, but it wasn't fancy when I lived there, when I bought Not it. Not in 99. And so that was in 92 when I oh, bought that house. Definitely not fancy. So this is where I call it my Jonah moment. And I made a conscious decision, understanding that the Lord was calling me to say, hey, you need to help people own their own home because I helped you, right? Two ladies that I was not related to had helped me buy this house, and that was back when, like, I was sitting in a bank downtown. I couldn't even tell you what bank it was, and the lady next to me looked at the banker and said, I promise you he'll pay his note, and the banker said, okay, and that was it. So I have this house that it, where my family lives now. It's an incredible asset that I've owned for over 30 years, right next to downtown. But I said, I have to do this for one year at least. And I told them at my interview. Yeah. At the time, I said, I, I'll do this for one year. I've got other things that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I use the word bigger and better. That would have been a bad interview thing to say, but that's <laughs> what was in my mind. But what I didn't realize is that the Lord's plan for me was this was the bigger and better thing that I was supposed to do. Mm. Six years later, I became the director. And we've been able to expand from three people when I was hired. We have about 30 folks. We have rental units for um, fixed-income folks and lower-income folks. We've built a zillion houses. We have a owner-occupied repair program. And we've just been incredibly blessed with the ability to help our community and help people live in what I like to say, a clean, well-lighted place. So you started in 99 as a the construction building, manager, the construction manager, and then you became the, the head, the director, Executive director right. in, so I guess, said, 2005, maybe 2005, that's six like that. years or, or so. Like uh-huh. 
And that's what, that's your current role. That's You've my current role. You've been with it for a long time. That's right. And then the board of directors gave me permission to run for office. I explained to them that the reason I wanted to run for office is to have a larger platform to explain the importance of people owning their own homes and achieving the American dream of home ownership. And I think that that has kind of faded away a little bit. And I think it's extremely important. You know, I had Fannie Mae Price, my um, grandmother told me, literally my earliest memory of her is telling me, don't sell your land because it's the only thing they don't make more of. Mm. And when I was growing up, I've lived in trailers. I've lived in apartments. I did, I did really didn't know I was poor until I was 17. But we always knew that we were going to try to buy a home. I always knew my family was trying to save up for a home. And then we yeah. bought a home, you know. And it's been interesting to be in this field. And I couldn't feel, I call myself the luckiest guy on the planet. I honestly do. Because I'm able to help people achieve that dream. And that for whatever reason, I always like to say that the, my customers that I do business with, they're hardworking people. They got decent credit. They just can't afford the dirt or the doors in this community. Yeah. And so, or they can't get financing also. Yeah, because it's both. There is both. And it's yeah. like, it's, I mean, there's racial components that have been studied about the financing as well. Yeah. And it's, I'm not saying that's all it is, but I'm just saying there's a factor in there. That's one of the factors. I've heard you talk about the impact of home ownership. Uh, I've heard you reference a couple of studies about that. Say more about what that impact is. What does it really do for people to own a home? What, what do those studies indicate? of how important that is sure what it that, means. I mean, that's a great question. So, you know, having been the builder of a lot of houses and then turned into the executive director and we service our own mortgages. So there's a lot of customers that I still keep in touch with, or I know, or I see once a month if I'm in the office when they come to make a payment. And, um, you know, I'd heard about the outcomes just from, uh, different families. Cause I would ask, you know, Hey, how's your kids doing? How are everybody okay? You know, thanks for your payment. See you next month, whatever. And then a lady named Jackie, I built her home out in Stonehenge. I said, Jackie, how's the kids doing? This is 2017. She said, Spencer, they're not kids anymore. That was like 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. <laughs> and I said, um, she said, well, they're in college playing football. They're both of them in South Carolina somewhere. And I said, um, Jackie, do you think that they would have been able to go to college if they lived in the apartment complex where you lived when I first met you? And she said, absolutely not, Spencer. So we got together and got some money together, and we hired Georgia Tech and Kennesaw State to do a statewide study because we had 7,000 habitat homes across the state of Georgia in 2017. I think we're at like maybe eight or 9,000 right now. But we have the names and addresses of every individual across this country that we built homes for. Yeah. And no one had really done studies before. And so we hired Georgia Tech and Kennesaw State to see what the outcomes of the families in general were around the state of Georgia. And they found three things and a fourth one that I didn't anticipate. But just like I had been having conversations with the homeowners asking about their children, it said, yes, their kids do better in school. 
kids immediately do better in school. And we actually have like turnaround dates of when a kid started doing better in school. It coincides with the day after they moved into their house type of stuff. It's weird. Okay. It might be strange for you or I or, or your listeners, but we've also probably never lived in the situations as some of my customers have lived in or the children have experienced. Right. Right. And so the other thing they found was that around 80% of them said the family as a unit feels better about themselves. They get along more. There's less conflict, and they can save money for the future. And then about 70% said they reduce or remove all forms of public assistance. So the fourth thing that we didn't expect, so I figured the first three, you know, that was kind of, I didn't talk about it or mess with the study. I don't even know who did it, but just from ancillary conversations, I knew that. The fourth thing that was really awesome is that other adults in the same household also achieve higher education levels. Really? It's not only the kids. It's other adults in the households. The entire household then is affected. And so when you look at that in my political world, those are like two major things that we seem to discuss a lot. Public benefits and education constantly constantly and so i feel how like to reduce the burden of public benefits that's right that's right uh-huh. on the taxpayer that's right yeah and and we're always right. fighting about education always fighting about education yeah and you know i think what i have is proof that it's not that we have bad teachers we get the same teachers as the surrounding counties. They're all trained at UGA right down the street from me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's not that we have bad administrators. It's not that we have bad people in our classrooms. The fact is that we have students who have bad places to live. Yeah. And if we could get our student population into clean, well-lighted housing, we would see that our school districts would be different. We're not looking at the root of the problem when we try to solve some of our social issues. The root of the problem for a lot of this is housing-related. Because if you think about it, if you've ever walked around the woods and thought about staying in the woods, I do that all the time, by the way. (laughs) I would love to stay in the woods. (laughs) But if you think about, and you watch these shows that are on TV now, we're about to see a slew of reality shows. Oh, yeah. Coming at us. It's the know, season for it. Well, especially because the writer's strike, strike, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's going to be a lot of people living out in the middle of nowhere. I want you to think about that. Like I was watching one the other night and they really had to make a shelter, right? Okay. You're like, well, these families are living in an apartment complex. They're fine. But you think about the surrounding neighbors of the apartment complex may not be, have the best interests of the children at heart. And some of the least expensive places to live are also some of the most dangerous places in this community mm-hmm. and probably most any community. The cheaper it is, the, the more dangerous it could be. And by stabilizing the home life of these children, what you're doing is giving them hope that I think in our regular society we, we've forgotten to do that. People need to feel like they're working towards a dream. People need to feel like they're valued. People need to feel like 
they are a part of a community. And when we isolate certain portions of our society, we build our own problems. And I think it's important for us to realize that the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor. And then you get into the who's my neighbor stuff, right? Yeah. And if your listeners are are really biblically educated, you would realize that that particular who's my neighbor story pitted the worst person that they could possibly come up with at the time within the structure of their communities. Yes. And they hated each other. It wasn't just a random guy. It was somebody that was the exact opposite. And at that time, if you saw those people, you killed each, tried to kill each other. That was it. They weren't at war, but they, you just hated each other. Yeah. That was the depth and the importance of that example. And so I think as our society grows and we try to solve some of these problems that we really need to look at it like that through the lens of, well, you remember those bracelets. What would Jesus do? WWJD? Yeah. Come on now. (laughs) So how difficult is it for people in this community to buy a home? Golly. Well, think about this. So I think folks that are about our age, I mean, heck, when I started working, minimum wage was $3.10 or 15 cents or something, you know, and when you bounce it up to seven, you're like, gum, that's twice as much as I had, you know. We're at seven twenty-five, but you know, you work a full-time job at seven twenty-five. Do the quick math. What people don't realize is that there's two thousand eighty hours in a year that are work hours. That's a full-time job. So if mm-hmm. you're working forty hours a week, it's about two thousand eighty hours. Well, Tom, seven dollars is only fourteen thousand. It's not much. And there's nothing you can do with fourteen thousand. No. But let me t- put that a step further. So we're talking about a lot of the folks making fifteen dollars an hour. Like, gum. we don't have anybody at Habitat. All of our full-time workers are make a living wage at 15. But still, 15 times 2,000 is still only $30,000. It's not much. Uh-uh. So when you look at the median home price in Athens-Clark County at about 370-something, mm-hmm. it'll fluctuate depending it'll on what fluctuate. you look like. I looked. I looked online, and in July, the median for a two-bedroom house was 229000 Okay, so great, great. So I've got my little calculator here. Yeah. And this is what I do. I do this a lot. Got my little mortgage calculator. So say you have a $229,000 mortgage. Yeah. That's a two-bedroom. Okay, that's, first, a, that's two bedrooms. Yeah, that's two bedrooms. Mm-hmm. It's not a big house. Mm-mm. I mean, you're looking at 2000 a month plus taxes and insurance. Easy. With the with the rates as they are right now, okay. So, and if you look at seven twenty five, at at a, on a month, you might make somewhere around thirteen hundred dollars a month. That's right. That's right. That's not even enough to cover the payment. Well, it's also not enough to cover the rents as they're going up too, right? I yeah. Mean, we have a really big problem with this, and and you know even at thirty thousand dollars a year, you're really only supposed to spend. What ten thousand a year on that? It'd be ten thousand. So the federal definition of housing stress is if you're spending over thirty percent of your income on your housing expense, and that would include your utilities. Well, in this particular example, you're looking at um, thirty thousand a year. You're spending ten thousand a year. You couldn't even buy this house because that's a twenty-four thousand dollar a year house. Yeah. So what that means is that you have to have seventy-five thousand dollars, even eighty thousand dollars, to be able to buy this. 
And so I know some people are like, okay, well, yeah, $80,000, just work a little harder. It's like those <laughs> level of jobs, there's 10%. Mm-hmm. And last year in January, there's 10% of the people in the state that could afford the median home price of the state. How many again? Say that again. I think there was 10, maybe 20%. So 80% of the people make below what it costs to afford a $368,000 house in Georgia. Well, and when you put that up against what the value of owning a home is in terms of getting people off the benefits, right? raising their education, improving your community. Yep. Bringing um, taxes into the community. Yeah. You know, it's not, people talk about, oh, the services are going to be, you know, it's going to be tough because you got to provide more services. Like, look, I mean, you can add more houses. You can add a lot more houses before your services get messed up. Mm-hmm. And if you are already there, it's too late and you need to fix it anyway. So talk about, remind people about the primary model with Habitat and buying a home and how the loan works and what the loan costs here in Athens for folks that participate in that program. So one thing to make clear is that we sell homes to our customers. We fill the need of the customer, meaning that we're not spec builders. I don't go out and build a home and try to get somebody to put in it. Okay. We have somebody that applies to an application process. We have a selection committee, and they do um, a rigorous background check, et cetera, et cetera, check their income, their employment history, their rental history, the whole nine yards. And I always say my customers are hardworking people. Mm. And you know them, you've seen them, every, all your listeners have seen them. You just don't think about the person giving you your prescription at CVS is being poor. Yeah. They're wearing a white coat. You think they make a ton of money. There's only one pharmacist back there. There's only there. one in there. You know? Yeah. The rest of them can work under their license. And mm-hmm. so they're ringing out your groceries or they're the phlebotomist taking your blood at the hospital. I mean, those are the people, those are my customers. But you never look at somebody that's working and think, oh, they don't afford what I do or they, you know, because they're working. You never think somebody's poor. They're working, they're working in healthcare. They're making money. They're not. But yeah. they're not. And so yeah. these folks will go through a rigorous application process. So our customers get approved. They have to work 500 total hours. Until they get to 200, we don't talk about what they're where they're moving or anything. So it's first come, first served. Whoever gets to 200 first. If I take 10 applications, first person to 200 gets the next house. Okay. okay. Friends and family can come out to the job site and help. And it's a really good program. It's almost like a barn raising, you know, because the community is out volunteering, but you get to see the person whose house you're working on. And you think about how tightly knit our older communities were, you know. You oh, needed yeah. to build a barn. Guess what? All your friends that you live miles around for miles come over and you have a party and you build a barn. Mm-hmm. And that's Somebody kinda, brings some food. That's right. That's yeah. what we do on the job sites. Mm-hmm. And so... They go through that process. Three criteria I look at. Need for housing, the ability to pay, and the willingness to partner. Hmm. So we've built homes for, one of my early homes that I built was for a lady out in Oglethorpe County, maybe like 16 miles away. And she was a grandma. Her daughter lived with her, and she had a one-year-old. They didn't have plumbing. They had a literal outhouse, and you could see the dirt in the crawl space. 
from the living room floor. He didn't have heat. This was in Oglethorpe County in the 2000s. Mm. And so we built her a house. But what blew my mind at the time, I, I can tell you the exact date. It must have been 2006 because I had a one-year-old. <laughs> and I was saying, how do you body train a kid when you got an outhouse? And that stuff goes on. And we just don't see it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so she had a real physical need. We take rent into con- consideration. A lot of my families pay less in their mortgage payment than they were in their rent. And we track the difference, the economic difference that we can provide. So our houses have gone up from 100, I think we're at 140 right now, okay? Zero interest. We've extended the mortgage to maintain affordability. We go on for 30 years instead of 25. When I started, we were only at 20. And your payments are going to come out to about $400 a month plus taxes and insurance. Mm. A lot of our families are already paying $1,200, $1,300, $1,400 a month for rent. And when you look at that extra five, dollars $600 that's freed up in that family's budget, that's big. It's a massive amount as far as the percentage of money that they have bringing in. And I haven't done any studies for this, but I would guarantee you that that money is spent within five miles of that front door. Mm. Because yeah. my customers aren't going to vacation in Aruba. <laughs> you know, right. some of my customers don't go anywhere for vacation. I got one homeowner and she's never had a vacation. And I told her she had to take a vacation. <laughs> and she went down to Florida and she came back. And she was so happy. But it's people that haven't had the same opportunities as I have. Or had the same opportunity to learn as I have. My parents took me on vacation when I was little. It blew my mind that I had, and she's one of my store managers. Wow. I said, you're going to go on vacation. Now, that lady was a special lady. I'm going to take a minute to tell you about her. She moved from homelessness to home ownership. There were a period of years where I met her when she was at the homeless shelter next to me. Mm. At, over on Barbara Street. Okay. And then she would come over and bring her three little kids to volunteer in the store and then she got a job and then she moved into the housing authority and then she applied for a habitat home and she was working two jobs one at the restore and one at another place and then finally I was like you just need to come over so she's one of my assistant managers out on Atlanta highway and good what a great story our kids are doing great our kids are wonderful I was over there at her house the other day you just think about the building up of people is what we need to be thinking about. And how do we build people up instead of tear people down? And I say this in the legislature, when you've got a hungry kid in front of you, arguing about how they got hungry is a whole different discussion. But the discussion right now is if you've got a hungry kid in front of you is how do we feed them? Mm-hmm. Not we need more parental involvement. Not oh, well, if if this had happened, this was the thing. We don't need to blame. We need to really embrace the issues and solve the issues because that's what Jesus would do. Yeah. Probably uh, one of the reasons that Habitat is so well-known in this concept of sweat equity, participating in a home, and then actually owning a home and the community building it, Jimmy Carter has probably done more to help make that so well-known. Sure has. And our church has participated in two houses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Of course, I think at the time when we were doing it, the cost of a house was around $35,000, $40,000. with a 20-year mortgage at 0%. Your payment was like 100 and something dollars a month plus taxes and insurance. And you said it cost about 140 now? Right. So mm-hmm. I want to peg it below 400 so I think I've figured it out to 399 plus taxes and insurance, and <laughs> it puts you, you know, it's very good. It's a late-night TV sales pitch right there. But that's only one of the programs that you do at the Athens area habitat. What are the other three programs? So we have a program that we can do home modifications for any sort of handicap or elderly homeowners. Um, we do a lot of handicap ramps. We'll do a lot of roofs. I mean, I fixed a roof for an 80 year old lady who owned the home who was blind and she was mm. taken care of by a 70 year old lady in the home and when it rained they both slept in the same bed when it rained they'd have to go sleep in the living room because the drips would come in over their bed oh wow and so they're on both ssi but they own their home and they're able to pay taxes and insurance so we did their roof for them. you know those needs exist um that's a really important aspect to think about is there's a lot of fixed income folks that can't afford some of these modifications that are needed. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now with the lumber prices are still up and labor still up. So we'll do critical home repairs for owner occupied properties. We'll do accessible repairs or, or additions for owner occupied properties. Then we also have a program where we've acquired a bunch of multifamily property we have about 50 units that we've required over the years. Um, part of a neighborhood stabilization effort, but also part of the idea is that we can use those funds, keep our rents low, yeah. use those funds to reinvest into our housing programs, right? And so we actually have a small pocket neighborhood, which we have built, um, paid for by some of our rental properties. Mm over in the same area. So reinvesting the funding back into the area where it comes from, I think that concept is also extremely important. So that's why I'm really a big localist and, and really want to try to figure out ways to I use local labor. If I can't use Athens, it's the region. Yeah. I can't use the region, it's the state. I really try to focus on mm-hmm. um, those type of things when we're doing building. Uh, Magnolia Terrace. Magnolia Terrace is one of them. That uh, was a, Talk about that story. A guy had built those things, and they had gone latent. And there are these little concrete two-bedroom, one-bath duplexes up a road right in the Hancock Corridor, which is right off of Broad Street. Okay. Between between Broad and Baxter. Okay. Kind of behind St. Mary's Hospital. Exactly behind St. Mary's, right. And so, you know, they're dilapidated properties. We bought them, put them under contract, and used private dollars, donations, and also donations from our restores where we sell stuff to have the funds to build those out. And we rent those to people. The first ones that we rented, we have a veteran in there that's still living there. And you think about a homeless vet. Mm. Come on, y'all. I mean, I feel like the issues that we have with um, our veterans are important to me because my father was a veteran. And those are issues we need to be taken care of. And I was just shocked, but also really blessed to be able to provide housing for a homeless veteran who'd served in the military for like, I can't even remember how long, but it's just a long time. 
So we use those, you know, what do you do with the cinder block building? Well, I got this book from a Venezuelan guy who gave me a book about Venezuelan <laughs> architecture. And so I can't really pick colors well. I can see colors, but I don't pick them well. And I just said, hey, to my staff, find some houses in here that you like. And so we painted them bright colors. Yeah. Um, you paint the trim around the windows, bright colors, and it just really changes the environment of the neighborhood. And people like living there, and it's a good place for people so Habitat owns the homes and you rent them. That's right. Is that we right? Own, it's, and they're duplexes. So we own all the duplexes. Okay. We have one single family home that was bought in a different package that is really small. And we've kept that a rental as well. Okay. Now. So about 49 other units. Is that something that other Habitats do? No Habitats do this. Um, it's something that I knew that we could do. When I first became construction manager in 1999, we actually owned three homes that we rented to people, and I was made the manager of those three rentals mm. on Barber Street. All right. And so, you know, we had a history of it, and um, I spoke to my board about it. The idea is that, you know, certainly Habitat's known for building homes and selling them to homeowners, but the idea behind housing affordability should also extend to existing homeowners that can't afford repairs. Rentals in this community that's almost recession-proof, that really the rents, since they've been talking about the values of homes in Athens, there's only been one year that it's gone down, right? Yeah. It's, it's an appreciating asset. Hope Scholarship kicked in a whole different world of rentals. Certainly. Because you ha- all of a sudden parents have money for their kids to live a different lifestyle than paying tuition. You know, all those factors come in into play. We're trying to do the best we can at redefining the concept of housing. It means a lot of different things besides just a single family house. And if nobody else was going to do it, then we were going to do it. Yeah. My board at the time, they agreed that that was something we needed to get into. And so we bought our first 16-unit apartment complex. Right after 2008, we had an opportunity to purchase one and use private dollars to rehab it. And uh, it's been an amazing success. I'm curious, have you heard, um, I, it was a story on NPR about the Nehemiah neighborhood. It's up in New York. The Nehemiah Project is a neighborhood that is up in New York where they literally back in the 70s, built homes across the street from housing authority units, and they sold those homes to people from the housing authority. Mm. And the statistical analysis that comes from the Nehemiah homes, where you're living across the street, you can see each other through the windows of your units. That close. And... The outcomes for the folks, the children of the folks that own their own homes are almost mirror the outcomes that we found here in Athens. That's incredible. They make more money. The kids go off to school, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like when you have your control group right there. Like they literally moved people across the street. And you think about what is that? I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is except for the idea of, When you look at the people in our areas, 
mostly African-American, don't have a way to figure out where their great-grandfathers are from. Yeah. I can trace my lineage very far back to this little island off the coast of Europe, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, I'm about as white as a white guy can get. <laughs> and it's all English, Irish, and Scotch, right? <laughs> and German and a little French. So, I mean, yeah, you think about, like, I can find that. Mm-hmm. We have a group of people that a lot of them have no idea. Is this the cause where all of a sudden this kid feels rooted, mm. right? Yeah. Because you think about this. Nine times out of ten, they've been chasing rent. Rent goes up, they got to move. Mm-hmm. In our lowest performing school districts, you're looking at the highest attrition rates of students during the year. And what does that tell you? Yeah. That we have a housing problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're chasing the rent. So there's no, there's no stability. But then you get to a point where that kid realizes that he can leave. He or she can leave, go off to college, and always know that mom's going to be right there, dad's going to be right there. You got something to go back to. But that's something that an apartment or a, tr- or a rental cannot ever give you. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that. I don't know what it is, but it seems to work. And I'm, yeah, I don't know what the cause is, but I know what the solution is. So we need to work on the solution. <laughs> what you're doing over at Millage Terrace sounds highly impactful, not only for the families but for the community. What are ways in which people who are wanting to help and wanting to put their hands in and do some things, um, how can they do that? Well, we have a construction site that we can put you on first. I'll always say that because I've been going out on the construction site a little more. During the week, we could use any help anytime, Tuesday through Saturday. Saturdays might be full, yeah, but that definitely can volunteer. Go on the website www.athenshabitat.com. We'll make it easy. I'll put a link in the little notes. Okay, good. Certainly, we have restore opportunities to volunteer on Atlanta Highway or on Barber Street. The restores are a massive part of our organization. I'm constantly surprised that people don't know we have restores, even though, like, we talk, I feel like we talk about it a lot, you know. But that generates a lot of income for our mission. Both of those stores do really well with their donations, and there's low-priced merchandise, and we have resellers, pickers come, and you'd just be amazed at all the stuff that comes in. So if I'm cleaning out in my house, and I'm getting ready to load up the car and take some stuff, and I'm probably going to head to Goodwill, I should probably come to the ReStore instead? You should probably come to the ReStore. One of the things... What's the difference? Differences would be in our particular restores is we are considered everything stores. Okay. Okay. And that is a technical term as opposed to just construction material store, which some habitats are that only construction materials. But we're the third oldest restore in the nation. Really? Yes. We have minutes that put us back to 1988. I think the other two were like right before that. And the minutes reflect the board talking about storing furniture donations in a warehouse and selling them to raise money for this house, right? Wow. And so, and you're talking about like a bunch of volunteers making it up as they go along <laughs> back in 1988, right? Yeah. So, throw the stuff in your car, 
go to Atlanta Highway, go to Barber Street. They will tell you if they can't take it, but 99% of the time they take it. I think it's because our donors make their own choices before they bring stuff in. Mm-hmm. And then when I say everything, I mean everything. You mean everything? I mean everything. Anything you can think of that you might be getting rid of, we will take. Because you will not believe the amount of people who buy stuff that you or I wouldn't think would sell. Wow. A lot of tinkers, a lot of crafters, a lot of jewelers, pickers, like I said. I mean, there's a. it's just an amazing, it's a fun place. If you go in the restore and sit down on one of the sofas in there and just watch for like an hour, you'll be blown away because you could see the poorest person in Athens and the richest person in Athens cross each other in the aisle. Wow. It's one of those stores. It's not like you're not going to see the poorest person in Saks. You're not going to see the richest person down at Potter's House. But in these restores, man, a lot of people go down there and shop and buy stuff. It's not like the consignment shop you're going to. Right, right. Yeah, very different. So clothing? Clothing. We take books. I mean, any construction stuff. I mean, we get tools. We get all sorts of things. I'm constantly walking through there commandeering things for the job site, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, somebody brings, and staff knows, like, we take any used instruments, band instruments, we donate to the school system. So I know a direct outlet for some of this stuff. And we just want to make sure that the restores are definitely operating as the community investing into the community. Okay. Okay. And I don't know the percentage, but I'll tell you, I can say over 99% of the funds that are generated by Athens Habitat stay in Athens. That's a large amount. It is a large amount because it's important to us to do that. But we also are structured differently than other nonprofits and the work that you see being done from Athens Habitat is done by Athens Habitat. We don't get money from Habitat International. Everything we do is done by us and our community partnering together. Are you expected to give a portion of your funds to Habitat International? Yes, that is a contentious issue at this point because uh-huh. we've been grassroots for so long. Yeah. And they're corporatizing us a little bit. Mm. And, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of situation. And there's been a lot more requirements um, placed on different affiliates. And we've lost uh, some of the smaller rural affiliates because of that. Mm. Um, So, yes, that's why I say I don't know the percentage, but I know it's over 99. And it would be 100 if I didn't have to do that. But I didn't always (laughs) have to do that. But your money doesn't go to international and then come back to you? No, not a bit. Yeah. Our money stays here. I run the budget with a great board of directors and a great staff, and we literally focus on spending our money with Athens people. If we can't find Athens people, we go to the region. If we can't find the region, we go to the state. And that is important because Mm -hmm. the economic impact that we have from the community needs to stay in our community. Yeah, because it is Athens area habitat what is the area what area does athens area habitat that's a great question athens area habitat currently holds oconee oglethorpe and clark okay for obvious reasons we have not done work in oconee in about two decades yeah we don't get any applications from oconee 
be difficult to work in Oconee unless someone owned their own land. Mm. We could still build a house, but mm-hmm. in Oglethorpe, we don't get a lot of applications, but we have done houses in o- Oglethorpe as well. Okay. And my intent is to expand to a level where Athens Area Habitat turns into a regional builder of houses. We're the largest in Northeast Georgia. We have the infrastructure, and the only way we're going to solve this problem is if we build a lot of houses. Mm. I mean, just to just to let you know, we've got six thousand. Last I checked, we have six thousand families that are income qualified for our houses in Athens. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, you know, one hundred twenty thousand people, six thousand. Yeah. But then you go like, say, take away five thousand of them for whatever reason, they don't get to buy a house, so they mm-hmm. don't want to. Mm-hmm. I still got to build a thousand houses. That's a lot of houses. It's not going to happen with one or two here and there. Mm-hmm. We're turning into neighborhood builders, and we need to recognize as a society, as we grow, our density is going to have to change, and people deserve the right to live where and how they would like to live. I think that's the basis of the, how this country was founded. If I'm not not wrong, I think that's why the pilgrims came over here. So part of the future for Athens Area Habitat would be that. That's part of a vision that we have is to be able to be regional neighborhood developers that can solve these issues that we have in our communities and offer people opportunities not just to get better education, lower their house payment, but even to create generational wealth Mm -hmm. to show that this country... I mean, it's evidentiary. The only way to create the generational wealth is through owning real estate. Yeah. Like that's, we have a wealth gap that's based on racial lines in the Southeast and it's because of real estate. Yeah. It started in the forties with the GI bill mm-hmm. where they decided to create a middle class. But then we had one whole group of people that was excluded from those benefits. Yeah. So trying to right the wrongs of the past federal government policies I think it's something that we should focus on for sure. Um, it's what I was taught early on, like I said. So tell me this, Spencer. How can a congregation like ours contribute to help and address these needs? Well, like I said, I would love for people to come out and volunteer on the job site. The week is the best time to do it um, because you can just co- come in as a one-off, meaning like we don't have large groups Tuesday through Friday. On Saturdays, we will have groups. We need to sign you up as a group. Okay. We are trying to expand our capability to host several sites at once and get away from just doing one site a weekend. Mm. Okay. That's what I'm doing on the job site. So I'm the licensed contractor for the organization. You know, my treasurer said, hey, you can't be on the job site all the time. How much would it be to get a licensed contractor to build the houses for us? And I said, it'd be more... Then you're paying me. <laughs> and I said, hey, look. And I don't want think about any more money that I got to raise is more money I got to raise. So I can do this. I'm just going to go do it. Yeah. Save us a bunch of money is what yeah. I'm doing. And so we've got a great guy in the office, Charles Smith, that you know very well. Yeah. And he's been able to take the back end, the office side, and direct the staff in that office. And I've been able to take this time to go out on the field and try to train our staff and grow our staff where in the near future this fall, I want to be able to run at least three or four job sites at once. So we'll be expanding the volunteer opportunities on the Saturdays. We're also building this 63-home neighborhood 
called Micah's Creek. Where is that? That will be inside the loop on the east side of town. Okay. Next to the Firefly Trail. Okay. So I got to get us ready to build 63 houses. And I got to get my staff ready to build 63 houses. And the other day when I was talking to, to them in the construction meeting, I was thinking, man, y'all don't know what it's going to be like when we've got 10 houses and 20 volunteers per house going on. And it's going to be like building a pyramid. It's going to be like the Egyptian pyramids. Now, well, you need to be able to, you know, we're going to have to be working hard. And so that's the thing. It's like, how do I expand our capability to solve the problem? Because the problem is big. Yeah. And so it's with groups like your church and the, the congregation partnering with us, whether you don't want to work on a job site, and I'll tell you, it's hot. So I get it if you don't want to come out of the job site. Mm-hmm. But give us your sofa. Right? Yeah. Or go volunteer in the store. And if you like picking and you like flea market stuff, go volunteer to sort stuff. If you have a skill, we need people that test our electronics. And Tim comes in two times a week, sits back in the back and tinkers. <laughs> and but has we, a blast. And we got the best electronics department out of anybody. I mean, it's incredible, you know? <laughs> And then he makes a video of the stuff and talks about the history of it or and, and tells people about it, what he's fixed or what he's tested. And so those great opportunities if you don't want to be on a build site. Stores get kind of hot, but it's about it's cooling off a little bit, so you'll be okay. Okay. We have an incredible volunteer coordinator, Zach. Zach can handle any application that comes in. Just email Zach, and uh, you can get his, in, his email off the website. And we encourage you to come out and volunteer. As mm-hmm. much as you can. But I want to challenge you to come out and volunteer. Because I want you listeners to realize that this is what we're supposed to do. Mm. It literally is what we're supposed to do. Before politics, I got into politics, I had to find the intersection of my faith and my politics. Because like I told you, hypocrisy was something that was not allowed in my household. And I narrowed it down. Some of you listeners got to give me a little bit of a little bit of space on this. But I really just decided that I was just going to do everything that was in the Gospels. If you take the Gospels out of the Bible, all we are is converted Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And we are Christians. And if anybody ever has something that they need to make a decision on, I'm just telling you, you need to go look for the red letter print in the old King James Bible. And you're going to get it right. And so I would like to encourage you to come out and challenge you to come out and to show your faith through your work. Mm. And this is one way to do it. And this is one of our greatest needs in this community. And uh, we'll have a good time doing it, too. It'll be, it'll be great. It's always fun to get your hands dirty and work with your hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want you to tell me something else. I want you to tell me something that you've learned from the people who have received benefit. Tell me something you've learned from some of your clients and customers. That's that's excellent. And I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because I wouldn't have brought it up myself. One of the things that I was amazed to learn was the pride that these homeowners feel in being able to leave their children an asset. Mm. Think about that. Think about how, what you think about what you have and 
You know, we're at that age where you start thinking about that stuff. Right. I didn't expect that. I mean, I knew I had it. And what I mean is I didn't think that they wouldn't have it. I just didn't even think of it. Right. right. Yeah. But the joy that a customer, when they're looking in my eyes and they're saying, I'm so happy that I own this and I can leave it to my children. Mm. I mean, that's some power right there. It is powerful. You know? And because that's what was done with me. My grandma, Fannie Mae, you know, I got a farm over in Mississippi that she left to the family. And that's just something that you you never really think about as something that would be important. But if you don't have anything and you have children, think about how excited you would be to be able to leave them an asset. That was That blew me out of the water. I mean, I really didn't expect that at all. But it over and over. It didn't just happen once. It was over and over and over. I've literally heard it like 10 times. Mm. And so that's something that I learned is looking at people that are different than me. They probably have the same thoughts in their head as we do. But mm-hmm. we don't give them that credit because they're different from us. And I mean different up and down the ladder. I'm talking about all different. But the bottom line is we are people. Yeah. And people think the same way. Yeah. And people were talking about housing, not on a microphone set up like this, but 100 years ago somebody was talking about issues with the price of housing. I guarantee you that. You know, guarantee. 200 years ago was talking, talking about where am I going to build my cabin, okay? Mm-hmm. So this has gone on for a long time. We're not inventing, reinventing <laughs> the wheel here. But, um, um, yeah. The idea that I look at my customers and they've said that they were so proud to be able to leave an asset to their children, mm-hmm. that, that took me off my feet. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking time to do this and to share your personal story as well as share some Habitat story and Habitat vision and ways in which we can plug in. Yeah, thank you so much. And and I think the, the closing message I'd like to leave the listeners is that we really need to pay attention to the Gospels as our guiding light to our Christian life principles. If you ever have any questions about what you need to do in a situation, you really just need to look at the Gospels for it. Focus on the Gospels, because without the Gospels, we're not Christians. And Jesus brought us a new covenant. And so we got the direct line now, and we need to pay attention to that. And there's people that are different than us, but none of that matters. Yeah. None of it matters. And whether you're going to volunteer at Habitat or whether you're going to work with the food bank or something, but just think about, really think about what would Jesus do. Mm. I do that legislatively. I do that in my work day to day and I'm not perfect at it. Nobody is. No. But I encourage your listeners to really pay attention to that because that's what we're called to do. I've got some calling stories I could tell you I'm not going to do right now, but I mean that Lord works in my life. And when I say I'm the luckiest person on, on the planet, I mean, I'm the most blessed person mm-hmm. on the planet. And the Lord has done that for me because I've tried my best to follow in the steps that I feel like he's guided me to to follow. 
sometimes I've had an inclination. Sometimes I've had to throw out the fleece three times before I get it. Right. <laughs> right. But you got to do that. Y'all keep the faith. We all need to work together and figure this out. But if Christians gather together and focus on the gospels, because that's our unity. That's our unity. I and mean, that's how I talk to my friends at the Capitol that are different. Mm-hmm. We, we unite by our faith. So just pay attention to those gospels and I'll let you know when my book's done. All right. That sounds good. All right. A few lightning round questions. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Mountains or beach? Beach. When it comes to barbecue, pork or brisket? Brisket. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. That's a good Georgian. <laughs> yes, I can't believe we sell Pepsi in this state. Backyard party or black tie gala? Backyard. And what is the most unusual job you've ever had? Being a legislator. That's probably what I got to do. <laughs> hey, look, I got my first 10 jobs on my list here. Do you really? Yeah, so like... <laughs> Let me see if I can find this. Here you go. My first seven jobs are, yeah, or were. I was uh, a worker in the J.C. Penney catalog department. Y'all remember catalogs? Oh, I remember catalogs. We had a whole department with a catalog. You go in there, about two you, inches thick. Yes, yes, very thick. Um, and then I was a towel mill inventory clerk. And then I was a painter, helper, and a handyman. And then I was a construction cleanup crew leader and then landscape gardener. I went to teach in Haiti. And then my seventh job was I was a doorman at the Rockfish Palace. Sweet. But I got to say being a legislator is probably the most interesting, crazy job. Fun conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I think it's important to um, what you're doing is very important. It really is. I think getting messages out that you're working on and and getting people to hear different things, it's huge. Thank you so much. Thanks, Spencer. Consider volunteering or donating to Athens Habitat. Visit their website, AthensHabitat.com, for details. Also, don't forget to visit the ReStore. The show notes provide additional links to the Nehemiah Project and the Housing Impact Study referenced in the podcast. You can also help build a stronger community by sharing this podcast with others in your network of people who are interested in the work of Habitat. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next week to meet Shonda Santana and Divas Who Win. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life.